when it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. This podcast contains explicit language. So that happened. This week's podcast seems to have a common theme of accountability. In the biggest political news story of the week, the FBI has concluded their investigation into the matter of former Secretary of State Hillary Clinton's email server and have decided no indictment is in order. But the report from FBI head James Comey was nevertheless quite scathing. It's a black cloud that could hang over Clinton's presidential candidacy. But the black cloud hanging over our politics seems to be the political elites just seem to get off easier than the rest of us. Meanwhile, in the biggest international story of the week, after an exhaustive inquest, officials in the UK have released the Chilkat Report, an epic-length documentation of their nation's involvement in the Iraq War, and a damning one at that, cataloging the bad intelligence that drew Britain into the conflict and the poor planning that occurred afterwards. It's a report that could well impact the United Kingdom's already fraught politics, but beyond the typical Bush-Blair blaming, there are larger lessons for everyone. Finally, in what's become a too frequent national story, two black men were killed by police under circumstances that, if we are being extremely charitable, can only be described as dubious. What sort of conversation to have about this? Maybe it's time to listen to those who know what it's like to be black in America and consider how we can amplify their voices. I'm Jason Lincolns with Huffington Post reporters Akbar Ahmed, Zach Carter, Julia Craven, and Arthur Delaney. Here's what happened first. Good morning, good evening, good day, wherever you are in the world. Thank you for returning to another edition of So That Happened, your podcast about the ongoing dumpster fire that is our lives in politics. My name is Jason Lincoln. I'm the editor of Eat the Press at the Huffington Post. I'm joined, as always, by Zachary Carter. Hello, everyone. And Arthur Delaney. Hi. And I'm glad to be back. I was on vacation, and it was nice to take a break from said dumpster fire. Um, Your absence was noted. (sighs) I'm sure it was also in some quarters praised. The, um, <laughs> the, uh, um, the, the big story of the week, I think, is, well, I mean, I, I don't want to, like, say it's the big story of the week, but obviously the largest political story of the week, the one that's le- that has dominated the televisions, despite everything else going on, has been uh, the FBI has uh, sort of declined to encourage the, the indictment of Hillary Clinton based upon her practices uh, with her email server. And the Justice Department, through Attorney General uh, uh, Loretta Lynch, has has taken the FBI up on that offer to not indict Hillary Clinton, uh, leaving Clinton in the sort of clear capacity to continue running for president because it would have been very hard for her to do that while under indictment, uh, and yet still under a cloud because of the things that Comey had to say about what went on uh, with Hillary Clinton's email practices. Guys, did she get off easy? No. Do you think no? Yeah. Do, I think, you think it, yeah. Okay, good. Bring up a good time. Well, it, it, indictment, <laughs> indictment would have been absolutely the worst outcome. Sure, absolutely. So no indictment. But what James Comey had to say when he announced the non-indictment was very damning and certainly 
more than enough fodder for Republicans to take this all the way to November. I kept thinking about what would have happened if this ruling had come in from Comey, the same ruling, and she was still a sitting Secretary of State. Doesn't that end a Secretary of State's career right there on the spot? Yeah. And I think uh, immediately, even if we're like, as, as Arthur was just saying, just because she hasn't been indicted doesn't mean that there aren't uh, steps that can be taken that can be painful for her going forward. I mean, it's kind of you know, Marco Rubio has already introduced legislation um, that would strip Clinton and her aides of their uh, ability to to view uh, classified information. Their, their security clearance would be revoked. Um, that to me seems like a pretty, pretty like obvious type of step that you might want to take for somebody who had um, mishandled classified information uh, as, as a public figure, um, and then subsequently um, not told the truth about that to the public uh, repeatedly. So, um, you know, we, we can't say if she was lying when she said, said that, because we don't know what was going on in her brain, whether she knew that she had she had exchanged classified emails at that time or not. Uh, but she certainly said something to the public that was not true about this. And it seems to me that like, that's th- these these questions that you hear about Hillary Clinton and her trustworthiness and, and all of this stuff. I think that that is often tinged with a little bit of sexism. Politicians lie all the time. She's not the only politician who lies. Uh, but this I think this is this is pretty problematic. I mean, whether or not she knowingly lied, she very confidently and forthrightly promised that no no classified information had been exchanged on her server. And she also said that she'd only used one uh, mobile device during this period of time, and now comes out that she's used multiple ones. Deleted thousands of emails inappropriately, uh, whether it was intentional or not. I mean, one thing that no one really talks about is, like, sort of this obvious – the obvious point – that clearly her decision to not just simply use the state.gov email domain was obviously an end around uh, FOIA. Yeah, open records laws. Like, can anyone dispute that? I mean, and, I, and I suppose once again, we're like, we don't know what was in Hillary Clinton's head, but it seems to me pretty clear that the obvious reason you do this is an end around FOIA. Yeah, she was trying to operate information above Act. the law, and it's not clear she got all the way above the law, and it it ended up backfiring miserably because it was stupid. And I want to point out something that Comey said uh, on on Wednesday. Um, you know, Comey did not say that foreign intelligence, you know, nefarious foreign intelligence facilities had hacked her email. The FBI director is not going to tell the public that foreign governments have hacked the Secretary of State's email. He said they may happened. well have. He said they may have. He came as close as you can possibly say to 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 acknowledging that uh, that this had taken place uh, as as I think a public official could could go now it may be the case that foreign intelligence services did not hack Hillary Clinton's email but I thought it was really interesting that he chose to make such a detailed uh, and 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 uh, and parsed public statement about this um, someone who was trying to avoid public scrutiny ended up compromising state secrets uh, that's bad that's very bad and I think if uh, if the Democratic nomination had not already been decided, and if she weren't going up against Donald Trump, uh, you would see the Democratic Party being much more concerned about these these revelations, and I think they have demonstrated uh, themselves to be thus far. Well, I mean, that's another good point. Uh, let's 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 save the 2016 thing to, to the end here. But um, one way in which I might interrogate my own premise on this is: is there an an impregnable email domain that classified information is not being possibly attained 
the government gets hacked all the time. Remember, remember the Office of Personnel Management right. thing that, that happened several months ago? An enormous amount of information was was breached. Um, you know, social security numbers of government employees, federal employees. Um, the government's IT is not good. It's not sophisticated. So the idea that uh, that just staying with the state uh, department servers would have been a, a, a you know perfectly safe um, uh, plan of attack is not true. Um, but also, there is a reason why we have those rules and why why you know you're not supposed to ever just run your own server out of your own house. Right. So the real confusing thing was that for like ten minutes, Comey came out and and absolutely tore Hillary Clinton to shreds with his statements that directly contradicted lots of things she'd said. And then at the end, he said, by the way, I'm not going to recommend a prosecution. And and that was actually really confusing. But I thought he brought some some clarity to this when he compared it to what David Petraeus had done, giving state secrets to to that woman he was having an affair with. Right. That David Petraeus got off for that is... Perhaps something the Clinton campaign should send him a bottle of scotch for or something. Right. right. So And so at this hearing on Thursday, Comey explained the difference between those two things. The Petraeus case, to my mind, illustrates perfectly the kind of cases the Department of Justice is willing to prosecute. Even there, they prosecuted him for a misdemeanor. In that case, you had vast quantities of highly classified information, including uh, special sensitive compartmented information. That's the reference to code words. Vast quantity of it, not only shared with someone without authority to have it, but we found it in a search warrant hidden under the the, uh, insulation in his attic, and then he lied to us about it during the investigation. So running right directly at uh, the whole Petraeus incident, but mm, to interrogate my premise further, aren't we all still also still missing like a really plausible explanation for how the server came to be set up and secured. I think that if it had been a situation where Hillary Clinton comes to the State Department and the domain doesn't offer her the functionality that she wants in a modern email setting, she goes to, I don't know, I don't know who does IT compliance at the State Department and says, well, some or someone on her behalf says, Ms. Clinton needs to have this, that, and the other thing. What are our choices? One choice is, well, we upgrade the entire State Department <laughs> server farm and, and, and spend a lot of money. Or we do this kludge, and then somehow this skips past a compliance level. A server shows up, and and she says, oh, well, I got it. I guess maybe everything's cool and Jake. But she didn't say anything like that. She said it was for her personal convenience. I mean, don't we think we st- are still owed like a real explanation for why this college came to be in the first place well you're basically saying why won't you come out and just say i was trying to dodge open records laws well if she's not a plausible thing I, to expect I, her i to think i've just outlined <laughs> i think i've just outlined a possible scenario that would would allow you to sort of like realistically and reasonably that think, didn't happen oh, she is she has shifted her story on this three or four times now i mean i think if, if she had her if she had a reasonable explanation for what happened she would have offered it by now this has been going on for over a year okay fair. Um, I'm so just, I, I don't think there's an explanation i i think with, i agree i'm just interrogating my own premise here yeah, that's I, all i think with um, with regard to the Petraeus thing, I mean, I think Comey, Comey's right that this was there's a difference between intentional uh, disclosure of classified information. Petraeus and, and was hiding this stuff in his attic, right, and like, lied to the FBI about it yeah. and all this other stuff. Uh, but, but at the same time, and he, and he's right that that you know in recent years there haven't been many prosecutions for gross negligence on on this classified stuff. But I think it's also noteworthy who the government has in fact 
prosecuted oh, yeah, on definitely. this stuff. And I think it's worth asking the question whether the standard here that's appropriate is gross negligence or the type of person who disclosed this information and whether the, the administration looks favorably upon them or not. I think the way that the administration has prosecuted whistleblowers, leakers, people who have given information to the press, um, has been extremely aggressive, uh, frequently unwarranted, uh, and a, an effort to, in many ways, criminalize um, the practice of journalism. In and some f- instances, menace us. Yes. Yeah. And the fact that powerful people like David Petraeus, they, Petraeus did get prosecuted, right? But he avoided jail time for something that was really right. quite quite a serious breach of, of the and classified information breach, system. An right. inexcusable breach. Uh, he avoided jail time, and now Hillary Clinton is certainly going to avoid prosecution. Uh, she may avoid any any sort of formal sanction whatsoever. Or any repercussions. And I think it's really worth examining whether we think that's because gross negligence stuff doesn't get prosecuted or whether because we think powerful people don't get prosecuted and this gross negligence thing happens to be the standard by which they typically get off. Yeah, it's subjective. Their decision-making is very subjective, but clearly a powerful person got favorable treatment. I don't see how anyone could be faulted for yep. thinking this isn't exactly fair. Yep, it's all elite treatment. Now, there's a curious aspect of this is that I don't think Comey would have come out and said any of this mean stuff if he hadn't had to because of what Bill Clinton did the oh, previous weekend. Yes, yeah, get on the plane. With yeah, it was like, point. I'm yeah. going to have, I'm going to wait on this tarmac until Loretta Lynch's plane shows up, and then I'm just going to board her plane and talk to her right. for 30 minutes, like in full view of newspapers. Vastly stupid, unforced error. But while we're on that subject, let's now bring it back to 2016. There, When Comey gave his initial press conference, there were obvious things that, in my mind, I thought, oh, that's weaponizable for a Republican presidential candidate running against Hillary Clinton. Carelessness being being one of the yep. ones. Um they do not have a candidate who seems capable of weaponizing it. No, because immediately after Donald Trump was given this amazing weapon, <laughs> he just started talking about his own stuff. He's just like, by the way, how about this giant turd of an anti-Semitic tweet I sent? Boy, I shouldn't have deleted that tweet. Yeah, Bobby, That's what it said that night. <laughs> oh my Bobby God. Knight's coming to my convention. You know, it's a question that conservatives who don't favor Trump ask. Uh, If Donald Trump were trying to throw the election, what would he be doing differently? And I don't know if I could answer that. He seems to be, I mean, I don't want to engage in conspiracy theories, but (laughs) this morning, sorry, Thursday morning in the New York Times. Thank you. Time is a flat circle. there There is an article in which Donald Trump wouldn't even account for whether if elected, he would serve. And It's a great, a brilliant question to ask him. And he left the door open to whether he might actually accept the presidency if he won it, which definitely does not today seem like a possibility. But that is mind-bendingly crazy. His campaign is simultaneously running an anger-based campaign at GOP delegates of the convention to try to thwart them from stealing the nomination from him for an office he won't commit to even serving. It's crazy. Yeah, and it's the the Comey statement is uh, it comes as Republicans uh, reach the conclusion of their you know one of their several their, their most important of their several Benghazi committees, which all fueled the story that Hillary is crooked, 
like Donald Trump says. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it was it was these Benghazi committees that exposed the private email server, and here you 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 give it on a silver platter to the presidential opponent, and he just like poops on it and talks about his tweets. I just I really think that if Hillary Clinton were running against anybody else on the face of the earth, this would be extremely damaging, and we would be talking about how her campaign is falling into free fall now. But instead, it's just like a bad week for her, and she's going to go back to being up ten points in the polls tomorrow. <laughs> I, well, I mean, well, these, uh, I mean, uh, Trump and and some uh, Bernie Sanders supporters even had said they sure were looking forward to an indictment, which may have been a poor a poor effort at expectations management. <laughs> yeah, a little bit. Well, uh, well, I guess I guess Republicans have one last chance to get the election they want, but they're going to have to. Boy, they're gonna have to go to some real, real trouble to get it. I talk, I, I, or they'll just do four years of Hillary. If they were playing the long game, we'll lose this one terribly. Everyone will think Hillary's crooked, and then we'll have historic gains in Congress. May not be a bad play at this point. May not be a bad play. All right, thanks, guys. We have a really good show. Please stick around. We'll be right back. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. When it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. We got pulled Come over on, on Larpener. I told him not to reach for it. I told him to get his hand out. He had, you told him to get his ID, sir, and his driver's license. Oh, my God. Please don't tell me he's dead. Please don't tell me my boyfriend just went like that. Just keep your hands where they are, please. Yes, I will, sir. I'll keep my hands where they are. Please don't tell me this, Lord. Please, Jesus, don't tell me that he's gone. Please don't tell me that he's gone. Please, officer, don't tell me that you just did this to him. You shot four bullets into him, sir. He was just getting his license and registration, sir. Chances are many of you recognize the uh, audio clip you just heard. For those of you who don't know, that is a portion of a broadcast to Facebook Live made by a woman named Diamond Reynolds, a uh, Minnesota resident, uh, who, uh, who uh, live-streamed <laughs> her boyfriend's murder, essentially, uh, her 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 boyfriend was shot four times by a police officer at what I'm sure people will call a, quote, routine traffic stop. 
this uh, shooting came hard on the heels, too hard on the heels of another shooting in Baton Rouge involving a man named Alton Sterling. It's once again uh, one of those situations where we all know what's really happening here and are forced to find a way to articulate it. So joining me today to try our best to do that, we have Arthur Delaney. Hi. And Julia Craven. Hello. Um, <laughs> I actually, I've thought about, like, the first question I wanted to ask you, Julia, for, for like, a few hours now. Um, what is it like every day to be black in America? It's hard, especially on on days like this. Um, Philando Castile was the second video of the police shooting and killing a black man that we've seen in around 36-ish hours. And it it's just difficult because it's not just... As a black reporter, I don't just have to report the news, but I have to think about the mental health of myself. I have to think about my family members, my friends, my loved ones. Um, so it's it's a lot, and it's a really exhausting experience in general, but on during times like this, it just seems to get more strenuous. This had to be one of the most exhausting weeks ever, though, because when... Has there been two police killings under questionable circumstances, both caught on video within such a short amount of time? And so many similarities between the two. Um, and in each case, uh, uh, it's really hard to see why it had to end this way. Um, Cord Jefferson, when he was running for Gawker, talked about what it's like to be black in America. And he spoke about it in terms of like it's being gaslit. Gaslighted. I don't know what that. What does that past mean? Past tense. It's from a. It's um. It's from a play um called The Gaslight, in which a man um basically tortures his wife um psychologically using the gaslights in his home. He turns them up and turns them down, and she suspects that something's happening, and he tells her, "No, no, everything's fine. What are you talking about? You think the gaslights are going up and down? You're, no, you're crazy." And, you know, Cord said that's a lot like what's like being black. You have whole community saying this is definitely happening and an army of people surrounding them saying, no, it's not. It's not happening. And it can be tough in the moment to know whether a glance you receive in a store, you know, the, the way someone like pauses to look at you on the sidewalk, if it's freighted with racist menace or not and I can't imagine how obviously I can't imagine how traumatizing it is I live carefree yeah that's a excuse me that's a very accurate description of it Um, because I know sometimes if I'm in a store and I see like a white um, store worker walking behind me I'm just like is she following me or, or is she like putting something back in the aisle like did she really have to put that back or is she here because I'm here? It's it's a really intense experience just all the time. So, Julia, you're covering these killings for Huffington Post. You're like on the Internet all the time and getting instant reaction from people. So you have two killings that are just like clear as day right. what happened and how much pushback is there 
that it is what it seems? Well, I've gotten a lot of tweets saying that, you know, the cops were doing their job and they just happened to kill some criminals or some thugs or something, you know, um, the long, along those lines. Um, for Alton Sterling, he did have priors. Granted, as we all know, that does not warrant being shot to death. Um, and in his case, on the video that somebody, maybe one of the cops, is like, he's got a gun. Right. But he was restrained, he fully was, immobilized right. when he was shot to death. It reminded me of the Oscar Grant killing. Right. Exactly. Um, and for, I've, I've gotten some tweets saying the same thing about um, Philando, but he was a licensed gun owner. He was registered to carry his weapon. He had been through all of the proper background checks, which means he didn't have any priors. Like, he didn't have any felonies. He wasn't a criminal. He was a very clean guy. Um, But yet that narrative persists because he was black. He liked to wear saggy pants. He had dreads. So. So people are telling you on Twitter it's not how it seems. Like, these are videos that appear to show, like, pretty much executions. And people are still like, no, there's this mitigating information that completely changes what should be totally obvious. Like, do you doubt what you've just seen with your own eyes? Or right. is, is is it a struggle to do that? It's weird to me because, like, I see something like that happen to anyone of any race. And I'm just like, wow, you know, the police officer, regardless of his intentions, he murdered someone. Yeah. Um. But it's it's just very perplexing to me how some people can look at these videos and still find some type of fault in the person who got killed. You have to spend a lot of work trying to find fault. Yeah, um, that's a big lie to tell yourself. Yeah, I, you know, here's another big lie, I think, is that uh, when we're talking about, when we talk about cases like this, we often finally stray into the idea of respectability politics. And that, oh, well, you know, all black people have to do is, like, attain some kind of level of respectability in society and this stuff will stop happening to them. I sort of think of respectability politics as chattelization in another name because it seems to me that there is no standard that can be matched if you participate in any way in your community's culture, if you if you participate in their in their fashion trappings, if, they, if you participate in their politics, it automatically counts against you. In the in the in the matter of respectability, if you smoke pot, I've smoked pot, I've smoked pot, I've I could, I've I've smoked pot on the streets, okay. I've never been manhandled by a cop. I've been drunk in public, never been manhandled by a cop. Been helped home by a cop one time, um, but never been manhandled. At UVA, was assisted by a police when I was intoxicated. A black student at UVA just two years ago was beaten on the streets of my school. And that kid, I'll tell you what, that kid was a better student than I was and a smarter man than I was and more accomplished than I was. So to me, I, I definitely think that we're, we're end up in a dead hole if we talk about, oh, we just got to, you know, people just got to pull up their pants, elevate yourself. It's I mean, crazy. Charles Blow, his son um, had a gun drawn on him at Yale. Like he's he's a black kid at Yale, and he had a gun drawn on him by a police officer. 
because his son apparently fit the description as, you know, most black people tend to do. Are the fault finding jerks actually winning the conversation right now, though? I mean, we're talking about the fact that they always are there. But is is it not the case that outrage and sympathy are the more dominant strains of the conversation? I think because of Black Lives Matter, because of the way that our news coverage has changed since Mike Brown was killed in Ferguson, I think it's harder for people with those viewpoints to get it out into the mainstream media. Because we talk about this here at HuffPost all the time. It's just like, no, we're not going to give this person a platform. They don't have a good point. They're being really racist. They're being really terrible for no reason. Um they're not a presidential candidate, a Republican presidential candidate to be specific, or anyone with any type of political clout, so we're not going to give them the platform. So it's a lot harder, but at the same time, it's kind of like we're taking an L because that mind state still exists. Yeah, so it's... it's, So, yeah, it's like a double-edged sword. Now, a huge huge part of this, these stories, is that it's on video, and and everyone's confronted with the video. And then there's this question of, should people, should TV show the video on a loop? Should people share the video on, on social media? Should people see the video? And it seems like there are uh, two important sides of this. One is just, yeah, like this, we're finally showing people what's been going on mm-hmm. all all these decades before everyone had a video camera. The flip side, though, this is uh, it, it, it can numb people to the the true outrage that this is happening, or it can it can be like a snuff film. I haven't and been numbed yet. Of... Yeah, I find it. I find it. I find that I am continuously outraged each time when right. this happens. And I think because this isn't like the videos are showing white people (laughs) what has been happening for a long time right but it's like i don't need a video to know that this is what happens on a fairly regular basis um and i support the videos being out there and being accessible to people to watch them if they want to but as far as looping the videos on cable news i that that just strikes me as really insensitive um, what should they do? Blur? I, I understand that they have to show the videos, but, like, to loop them and, like, you just show the video. Yeah. And then 30 se- seconds later, you're just like, okay, so we're going to watch it again. And it, it, it's very torture porn-like. Right. And it it plays into this historical thing of black death being a spectacle. Like in movies, in culture. Like in lynchings, yeah. yeah. And it's just... It's gross. And like the New York Daily News cover, they, um, for those of you who haven't seen it, it's a still shot from the Alton Sterling video of his dead, bloodied body and the cop laying on his side um, above his head and like still pointing a gun at him. And that to me was just too far. And it seems like people are, uh, at least on my. Facebook feed, um, which is mostly white people, uh, there's like a lot of enthusiasm for showing outrage, and there's no debate about it. Yeah, uh, and I know I, just... I I see other people saying I had to unfriend people for being 
crazy racist about this. I think the problem you get into there when you treat your social media platform as your basis for act, your sum and sum of activism is you've not done anything. You know, what, what people who are posting things to Facebook need to consider is, first of all, how to magnify the voices of people who should be listening to at this point, how to turn, how to leverage their privilege to put the spotlight on the people who are impacted by these stories. Yeah, is it self-indulgent to just say, I am so outraged in it's a tough. Facebook status? It's tough. You know, it's, it's tough. I shared. I shared. Or is that, is that helpful? It's is, kind of, it, I don't know. It depends. I think it depends on, it's like you were saying, um, and I'm sorry to cut you off, but I think it, it depends on how you approach it. Because like when I see people say, oh my God, I'm outraged by, like the shooting of Alton Sterling or Philando Castile or the death of Sandra Bland or the Orlando massacre, um, what happened at the Planned Parenthood. So when I hear people say that they're outraged about things like that, I'm just like, what what do you want for saying that? Like, do you want cookies? Do you want gold stars? Well, Do they, you want a little red check by your name? Well, they, they want having, likes. They, right. Don't for you, having right. a Doesn't natural everyone want human likes? response to something like this. Um, so that's that's one thing. Even though I understand why people post about stuff like this, I, I think a lot of times it is for awareness and people are like, hey, I'm outraged. I want to share my outrage. I want to vent my outrage here. Um, and you should be outraged too. I'm also gonna get some likes, but <laughs> but and my I, next photo is gonna be of my brunch. You're gonna yeah. wonder if I was really tuned in or not, yeah. right? And like I, so it's it's a very complex thing. But overall, when I see statuses of people, especially if it's like their first, like if this video was their first one saying something, I'm just like. I don't really know what you want from me because we've seen since Ferguson, we have seen so many black people die on camera. One of them was a 12-year-old boy playing with a toy gun. Most of the time we hear at work, it's really fun to face tough stories with your friends, the people you care about, people you love. Absolutely. And this, is, this has been one of those days where it's been kind of hard to do that because I know that... Some of our colleagues weren't able to come into work today because it was tough. It was tough. People, get in the game. Get in the game first and foremost by listening to people from the black community. And please do not edit or annotate their experiences. All right. Uh, thanks, guys. be with you whatever said tony blair to (laughs) president george w bush and the two of them were off on a great great adventure in mesopotamia that we all know as the second iraq war but uh in great britain this week uh officials have released a lengthy report it's three times the length of the bible called the chilkut report uh, which has very damning things to say about Blair's involvement and the UK's involvement in the Iraq war. It stopped short of saying that anyone did anything illegal, but it's very 
eviscerating and damning. Here to talk about the Chilka Report, we have Zach Carter. Hello. And Akbar Ahmed. Hi. Welcome back. Welcome Thank back. You. So, um, what were? Let's just summarize briefly the main findings of the Chilka Report. Obviously, it's 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 way too long to go into much detail. Sure. Um, Blair lied. People died. Right. Right. Oh wow! <laughs> you must have been some good rallies with Jeremy Corbyn. That'll be that'll be the um, blurb on the paperback copy. <laughs> Um, I mean, basically saying that Blair got relied on really bad intelligence, terrible judgment, and really interestingly, it points out that there were peaceful alternatives for dealing with the problems that Blair and Bush identified in Iraq. So that is really interesting, right? Because it says, it gives out a little bit of cover. It says this whole BS you have of like, we were acting in good faith. You could have still been acting in good faith and pursued peaceful alternatives. Here's the evidence you didn't do that. And that's really interesting and surprising. That uh, that seems to me to be like one of the big issues here, because as we ran up to the Iraq war, it seemed that we still had alternatives to shock and awe and none of them were pursued. It just seemed like the necessity of of regime change overwhelmed everyone's senses. And here in the United States, of course, uh, I would say that I think the standard conventional thinking on what happened was that the. The intelligence community that we think of when we think of the intelligence community were cautioning against it, and Bush's bespoke intelligence cherry pickers were fiddling with the evidence and presenting a different case entirely. Is that what Blair was sold, or did Blair do do some of this selling of his own? That's interesting to raise that, because I think what Chilkut shows is that it was a different a different way of coming to the same conclusion, right? So Bush had this, like, GOP dream of, like, Iraq would be... Bill Crystal has this great science testimony, if you look at it. Iraq would be basically, like, a shining beacon on a hill for the rest of the Middle East, glorious neoliberal democracy, free market, blah, blah, blah. That's not what Chilkut says about Tony Blair. It says that Tony Blair was very committed to the U.S., very committed to dealing with terror and looking strong. Um, so he's not coming at it from that angle, which at least is, I guess, a little... Heartening, a, um, a little more realistic with his neoconservative chest thumping. Right, the need to project strength rather than maybe recreate, uh, you know, a, a, a mini United States, United Kingdom, and Mesopotamia. And, and the real idea of like being against dictators. I mean, people forget that Blair came at this from the left. For all that you can argue that Blair is a neoliberal and not that leftist, Blair does come at it from the left, and his argument is very much bigotry, bigotry, tyrant, tyrant, awful, awful oppression, and not like. America will make the world, you know, look like America. Right. It's a bit different. <clears throat> he'll he'll replace Saddam with a shopping mall. Um, what kind of insight do we have now into United Kingdom attitudes about the Iraq War, and and how does this Chilkut report either shape or 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 bend those attitudes? Um, Brits are pretty unhappy that they did that. Um, one of the interesting things about it is that culpability. So British soldiers' families, about two hundred, I think two hundred fifty. British casualties um, were reported because of the invasion. They're looking through these documents because while the report itself doesn't say, it doesn't say Blair did something illegal, it definitely gives you evidence to make a case in a court of law if you wanted to that this was illegal and my son, daughter, whoever died because of it. Um, British opinions are pretty negative. They don't like America. There's a great scene in Love Actually. I was telling Lauren yesterday, this oh, is the God. best thing to come out of the entire Blair Bush romance, is the Hugh Grant scene where he talks about David Beckham's left foot and stands up to the American president. So that's really important. But um, something we've been discussing earlier is that paradoxically, 
uh, it led to Britain becoming a little bit more isolationist for a little while, cutting its defense budget, and then Americans here turning around and saying, hey, why aren't more people paying more money to NATO? Why do we have to do everything? So, so that's awful. You know, it, it's, it's the, the pressures are really not good in either direction. Now Britain's beefing up its military again because they're like, oh, well, if the rest of the world wants it, we'll do it. They want to do their bit in Syria. Right. So they started bombing Syria in December. Um, they're spending tons more on their military than they ever were in the last five I want to focus a little bit here on score settling because I always like being able to remind the public that I was right about the Iraq war in 2003, um, which a lot of people were. It seemed like it was something that millions of people thought was a really bad idea um, and which led to some pretty bad outcomes. Um, But you wrote something this week, Akbar, about uh, Blair's response to to the Chilkut report in which he essentially said, hey, but at least I'm not responsible for the rise of ISIS and for the mess that is going on in the Middle East today. Clearly, this report has cleared my name. Um, You did not think that was convincing. Why not? Right. So he's saying I'm not responsible for terrorism. I mean, which suggests, yeah, certainly he's not like Jihadi John in an orange jumpsuit. So great. Congratulations. (laughs) But there are other ways to be responsible for things. Um, And Blair ignores, I mean, the consequence of the invasion, the fact that a lot of radicalized Iraqi soldiers were suddenly without a job and had guns, military training expertise, and a big country to roam around and kill Americans. And people like um, the Ayatollahs in Iran, Syria's Bashar Assad, were all too happy to pick these guys up, arm them even more, and kill more people. So... And a lot, a lot of the, the members of the uh, uh, of the, the Saddam Hussein military, for instance, end up as as top figures in, in what would eventually become ISIS. Right. And this is one thing Chilkut says, I mean, which is interesting, is that I think that's like a red meat aspect that I don't really, I really dislike to blaming Blair and Bush for everything on ISIS. Of course, right? yeah. We do have to move past that a little bit. And what Chilkut says is, like, Blair could have known and should have known, which is really true, that the kind of society Saddam built, you know, based on his 40-year rule, was going to end up like this. So you look at the former members of his military intelligence who've joined ISIS, including some really senior ISIS influential figures. Those are people who were radicalized in the Saddam era. Um, after fighting a war with largely Shiite Iran, he made... Iraq, an increasingly Sunni theocratic state that yeah. made it hard to be Shia. So these so Sunni officers were rewarded for being more conservative. And, and Blair should have known that. It's extraordinary, it's extraordinary to hear that Blair didn't subscribe to the whole idea that we would create a vacuum and fill it with a bunch of McDonald's. And yet he doesn't acknowledge the fact that vacuums were nevertheless created, which were then filled by Syrian, uh, the Assad regime, Iranians, and now ISIS. Right. I mean, it, is he, it, uh, where's the uh, self-awareness? Yeah, I, I think like the way he gets away with it, and, and he did in his statement, is that Iraq is still one of four functioning democracies, maybe in the Arab world. It Barely. is a functioning democracy. There are elections. Barely. There's a prime minister. There are, you know, it, it really is. Uh, I don't know if you can say there's even an Iraq, man. I think it's, that's, that's making a bold the statement. Husk. There is a place called Iraq that the is a functional country. Yes. Um, <laughs> but, but I think that's how in his mind he gets away with it. I, and I think if you're convinced you did nothing wrong, you don't want to do, you know. So all of this happens in Britain at the same time as Britain that's is it. exiting the EU. And uh, I, I think the week one of Brexit was all about the Conservative Party and their shenanigans and who was going to take over 
there. And then, of course, UKIP got in there, too. But we look past the fact that labor is also undergoing a lot of spasms right now. This is the sort of Democratic Party equivalent in in UK politics, the Labor Party. And and they used to be a lot more socialist, but they now are really quite like American Democrats in that way. In large part because of Tony Blair's movement. to Clinton. I mean, quite simple. Right. Quite similar. But I would think that the Chilkut report definitely strengthens Jeremy Corbyn's hand. I think it helps him because it brings back people's bad memories of what Labour had become and what they right. hated. Um, so I think it really helps him there. I don't think it's going to win, win him back the support of his parliamentary party. Oh, so. yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so. that's that, but, yeah. It, but it helps him because he was, we have to remember, head of the Stop the War Coalition for a long time. He's a strong, you know, a, a very anti-interventionist, in some ways isolationist kind of guy. Um, so that's interesting. Right. And, and I wonder what that will lead to. It's crazy to me because interventionists like Hillary Benn have the backing of MPs, but people like Corbyn have no MP backing but out in the streets. Regular citizens. Um, And and I think Chilkut will actually make those people even more determined to not let that party go in the Blairite direction again, um, which would be interesting. It's it's remarkable that we just spent a week talking about how David Cameron is probably going to go down as one of the worst prime ministers in British history because of this Brexit decision. But I do think this this Chilkut report reminds us how the Conservatives sort of came to power in the UK to begin with. Remember, that there, there wasn't just this, this innate yearning yeah, yeah, for yeah. David Cameron yeah. to be prime minister. There was a real sense of disillusionment with, with the government right. in the UK, uh, built largely on the failures of the Iraq War. Um, and, and so... You know, we're having a good time making fun of David Cameron lately, but but it is important to remember that he he didn't he didn't rise to power in a vacuum. And the opportunity for someone like David Cameron, who frankly Brexit shows is like a crap politician, right? To become <laughs> right. after yeah. the super charismatic Tony Blair would only happen because Tony Blair and then Gordon Frankenstein Brown, you know, appear. So yeah, there's a really solid argument to be made that British politics throughout their entire party structure has been amateur hour for decades. But America's hard on their heels. Yeah. Never fear. Donald We're Trump catching is up. actually running for president. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but so just final thing on that. Yeah. A really important thing with American politics. Let the Chilkut report also remind us that it's not okay for people like Donald Trump to say Saddam Hussein was a better option for Iraq. A big reason of why Iraq went the way it did was because of Saddam Hussein. Just don't forget. I think people are, you know. He was a bad guy. But, but he, he killed them dude. so good. So good he <laughs> killed the Kurds. Um, killed them so good. All right, Akbar, thank thanks for coming on with us. Zach, thanks for being here, and we shall return. So that's what happened this week. This podcast was produced, edited, and engineered by Christine Canetta. Our executive producer is Nick Offenberg. I'm Jason Lincolns. This week, we were joined by Huffington Post reporters Akbar Ahmed, Zach Carter, Julia Craven, and Arthur Delaney. So That Happened is available on iTunes at iTunes.com slash So That Happened. Check out the whole family of Huffington Post podcasts in the iTunes store. And while you're there, subscribe and tell your friends. If there's something you'd like to hear us talk about, please send an email to so that happened at HuffingtonPost.com. Thanks to all of you for listening. We miss you already. Hold up. 
when it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com.